Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show by mailing a one-time donation to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913-15913, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And I want to thank Sheila and Carolyn for supporting the program that way. You can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. And thank you to Kathleen and Jeff for supporting the program that way, each becoming Patreon supporters at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. Well, now it is time to get into this week's Johnny Dollar Serial. The original air dates, January 16th and 17th of 1956, and the title is The Ricardo Amerigo Manor Episodes 1 and 2. From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Dollar. John, this is Harry Branson of Philadelphia Mutual. Harry, what are you doing in town? I'm not, at least not in your town. But you've got a case for me. Do you know anything about violins? Oh, don't tell me. So he opened up his fiddle case and out came a submachine gun, that it? John, that technique went out with prohibition. Now, seriously, this case contains a genuine Amati. Good. What's an Amati? One of the finest, most expensive violins ever made. This one was insured for $30,000. Was? Yes. Now, someone has to find it for us. What's more? Okay, Harry, I'm on my way. Tonight and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. (laughs) Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to the Philadelphia Mutual Liability and Casualty Company. The following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Expense account item 1, 1240, train fare and incidentals to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I took the train because Harry Branson didn't seem to be in any particular hurry, and I kind of like a slow look at the countryside this time of year. When I got to Philadelphia, I checked in at the Bellevue Stratford, shaved and showered, then went over to Harry Branson's office in the Security First building on Walnut Street. You deceived me, John. I thought when we talked long distance that you'd be here right away. But instead of flying down, Old you took the Sobersides Branson hadn't a changed a bit. Time, hair a little grayer than the last I time I'd know, seen him, perhaps. I hear further from but still the same me. serious lad who always anything, acted as though he was carrying the weight of the world on his shoulders. Now, I feel a deep personal concern over the whole matter because it was a man I put in this office myself who issued the policies, both of them. Two policies on this fiddle you were talking about? No, John. One on the Amati violin, $30,000. Yeah. And one on Ricardo Amerigo himself for $20,000. Who is Ricky? Who? Well, isn't that what you said his name is? I'm sure I didn't mention anyone by the... Oh, 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 Ricardo Amerigo, yes, yes. Well, uh, where's he playing? The Purple Cat or uh, maybe Wee Willie's joint over on John, this this man is a concert violinist, or was. He's disappeared. Now, please, no more levity. (laughs) Sorry, Harold. It's Harrison. Sorry, Harry. All right. 
Quite all right. Now, I, I realize that you have quite a sense of humor, John, but in a matter as important as this. Yeah, sure. Now, let's have the story. Very well. A few years ago, Ricardo Amerigo was one of the world's leading concert violinists. As famous in London, Paris, Rome, as in the concert halls of this country. Uh-huh. Such virtuosity, almost unbelievable. I shall never forget one evening here in our Academy of Music. He had just finished a perfectly brilliant Vinyovsky. Amazing technical performance. Yeah, well... And uh... for an encore, he played Sarasate's Zapatiado. Even more brilliant. Harry... Uh... But the audience wouldn't let him leave the stage. Ricardo Amarigo... Has disappeared. Oh, oh, yes. And you're in a hurry to get on with the case. I'm sorry. Now, thinking of his superlative performance that night carried me away for... <clears throat> yes, he, he's dead. Disappeared. And the violin? No trace. Dead? He didn't say that before. I know. You see, there's no proof of death. No body. Disappeared. Well, uh, don't let me shock your finer sensibilities, Harry. Murder? We have thought of that, of course. Who's we? The Port Morris police. Port Morris, New Jersey, that is. Oh. Yes, you see, since Amerigo's car went through the bridge rail, crashed right through it, and plunged into the river stream... Trying to tie Harry down to pertinent facts that would help me in my investigation was, uh, well, futile. At least three times during the next half hour, he went off on glowing descriptions of violent recitals he had known. Heifetz, Selman, Chrysler, and so on. But he did come up with one of two things I wanted. First, Amerigo and his fiddle had been driving down from Philadelphia to some spot on the South Jersey seashore. Crossing an old wooden bridge over a little stream, an inlet from the ocean, the car had smashed through the guard rail and gone to the bottom of the inlet. The car, of course, was found. Amerigo and his violin, no. Second, and just as important, the name of the beneficiary of Amerigo's policies. Item two on expense account, one dollar even. Taxi to the Harnell Building, also on Walnut Street, in the office of Peter Corbin, Amerigo's booking agent. The building was plush, but Corbin's office was about as bare as I'd ever seen. An old beat-up desk, a battered filing cabinet, and a couple of straight chairs. That was it. Come in, Dollar. Come in. Sit down. Corbin was chewing the stub of a cigar that he'd forgotten to relight for at least a couple of days. We made with the usual howdy-do's. Well, your man Branson told you exactly right, Dollar. I'm Ricardo Amerigo's sole and only beneficiary. Well, isn't that a bit unusual for a man's agent to be his heir? Or uh, was it because you were all personal friends? I'm going to give it to you straight. I brought Amerigo over to this country. Myself, my own sole expense. I actually gave him the build-up. I started his whole entire career. I kept him on top, all at my own expense. Well, didn't you collect a regular agent's commission on his earnings? Oh, sure, sure. Plenty more. Why kid about it? Sure, while he was working. What's that supposed to mean? Bottle. What? Yeah, started hitting the bottle. Bad, not good. And believe me, the word gets around fast. Instead of making me money, himself too, of course, he started costing me money. But you see, he never saved anything, even when he was earning big. You know how these artists are. Yeah, I've heard. Well, it's the same with all of them. He got in debt actually up to his ears. And nobody, no, no family, no relatives, nobody to pull him out. Nobody but me. Big-hearted Corbin. So you had him take on a lot of insurance and name you as beneficiary? Well, that was his idea, actually. Of course, he always did have the Amati insured. That's his violin. Oh, so I learned. Oh, you know about violins? No. Oh. Well, but the life insurance, that was his own idea. Double indemnity, all that sort of stuff. Double indemnity? Oh, yeah. But guess who had to dig up the moolah for the last couple premiums? (laughs) Big-hearted Corbin. You're right. Not a bad investment, though, was it? What? Hey... A hey, couple of thousand a in premiums, and you stand to collect plenty. If we can find proof that he's dead, and if we can't oh, recover the... I don't like the... that, Dollar. 
I don't either, Corbin. It doesn't smell good. Oh, you think me, his own agent, actually rigged something like that for one of my best friends? You think that... Listen, wise guy, even if I did have any, any of a such idea, it'd be crazy. Anything actually is, is, is as obvious as that. Well, sometimes the most obvious is the best cover. Oh, get out of here, Dollar. Unless you want somebody to start collecting on your insurance. Even if it isn't you, huh? Get out! So help me. Yeah, pretty obvious. And every time you open your mouth... Oh, oh no, you don't. Why is it that people who telegraph their punches are always the first to start swinging? Eh, I don't know. Anyhow, I left Corbin to pick himself up and start thinking about some alibis he might need. And in the camp back to my hotel, I did a lot of thinking myself. Sure, the obvious oft-times is the best cover-up. And yet it might be too obvious. Far too obvious. Branson here. Johnny Dollar here. Oh, uh, John, good. Listen, at least there'll be no double indemnity to pay in the Amerigo matter. For accidental death, that is. You see... Wait a minute. About an hour ago, you weren't even sure he's dead. Did somebody find the body? It, no, unfortunately, but I've just received a call from the Port Morris police. They completed their examination of Amerigo's car. Uh, after they pulled it out of the creek, of course. I hope so. John, they found conclusive evidence of murder. Harry, I'll call you from Port Morris. Expense account, item two. Subway, ferry, train, and bus fares to South Vineland, New Jersey. South Vineland, because Ed Bowles lived there, and I knew that if anything, anything at all happened in the heart of sunny southern Jersey, Ed would know about it. Retired and raising some of those wonderful South Jersey sweet potatoes and peaches with plenty of hired help, he amused himself by moseying around, getting to know everybody and everything that happened in his section of the state. He had an insatiable curiosity and money enough to keep it satisfied. Hi, you conniving, chiseling son of a gun. <laughs> I've been waiting for you to get here. What took you so long? Hey, what was that conniving, chiseling crack, son? We're still on expense account, aren't you? Yeah, sure. Sure, but... and so help me, nobody in history ever had the knack of padding out an expense account the way you can. And collect those fancy commissions on top. I, when I was a private investigator... Who is retired? You call this retired? No, wait a minute. That, that Cadillac Eldorado out front, that belongs to one of the hired hands. 983 right? peach trees. A lot of sweet potato land to be cultivated. Well, yes. Hey, why didn't you fly down or let me know and I'd have picked you up? Look, with all the time I have on oh, my hands... I thought hand, you said you were very yeah, busy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how long are you going to stay so I can figure out where we'll go, what we'll do? Ed, I'm on a case. Well, sure. Ricardo Amerigo and his priceless fiddle. Oh, no. It was easy. When I heard about him going over the bridge, I contacted Barney Peters of the Port Morris PD. From Barney, I learned all about the next of kin. It, his agent, that is. Pete Corbin. Right. And that boy at Philadelphia Mutual, Harry Branson. And I knew Branson wouldn't call anybody but you in on the case. So, here you are. Still a private eye, aren't you, Ed? <laughs> You gotta have some way of killing time. And I suppose you have the whole case solved. Yep. Well, according to Harry Branson, who heard from the Port Morris police just before I left Philly, it was murder. Oh, you point killer. I thought I'd be the one to tell you that. No, sorry. The cops knew it first. Second, I told them. Huh? Yeah, I showed them where somebody'd used a hacksaw on the steering arm of Amerigo's car when they dragged it out of the creek. Uh-huh. So that was it. Yep. And who wielded the hacksaw? Well, Pete Corbin. Who else? Why? 
Who else stood to benefit by Amerigo's sudden trip to the great beyond? No, 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 no. it's too easy. Ed. What's more, he's the only one who had constant and complete access to Amerigo's car. Why, he not only mothered little Ricky, clothed and fed him and kept him in booze, but he paid his rent, swept out his apartment, serviced his car. That's no, too easy. And Johnny, that car was even kept locked in Pete Corbin's own garage. And Corbin had the only key. Where did you learn that? From Corbin's landlord, by phone, of course. Said he thought Corbin did that so Ricky couldn't go out driving when he was drunk. And me? I think it was the other way around. You'd only let him drive when he was drunk, huh? Instead of a good chance of smashing up what would look like accidental death. So that Corbin would collect the double indemnity. It's open and shut. <laughs> Any proof, Sherlock? Ha! Just get to Corbin, throw it all at him, and break him down. Maybe he'll even find the hacksaw tucked up his sleeve. Uh, too easy. Any bets that it isn't Corbin? Yeah, yeah, I'll bet you. You name it. My commission on the case. I'll match it. Oh, and uh, plus your expense account. Look, Ed, I want to see that car and the bridge and the creek, anything else I can find. Sure, sure, I'll fly you down there. Then we can go on over to Atlantic City, hit some of the night spots. Your treat. You know... So we can build up the expense account enough for me to collect plenty. Ed Bowles had been a pretty good investigator in his day. Seldom gone off half-cocked. Yet all his evidence was purely circumstantial. And where was the body? What's more, Pete Corbin acted anything but scared. Or so I thought until I put through a routine call to Harry Branson. He was worried. He had a right to be. Pete Corbin had packed a bag, jumped into his car, and disappeared. Johnny Dollar. Sergeant Barney Peters, Port Mars Police. Oh, hi, Sergeant. Thought you and Adam Bowles were coming over here to look at the evidence in the murder of Ricardo Amerigo. We are. Ed's out warming up his plane. That's why I answered his phone. We got a visitor here in Port Morris. Who? The guy Ed thinks did the job. Pete Corbin, Amerigo's booking agent? That's right. In Port Morris? That's right. Well, are you holding him? I can't. No legal reason to, in spite of Ed's suspicions. Well, what's Corbin doing there? I don't know, unless Ed's right about him. Huh? And Pete knows you're on his trail. Well, what's that mean? What could mean he's down here gunning for you. Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar. Location, Port Morris, New Jersey. Following is an accounting of expenditures incurred during my investigation of the Ricardo Amerigo matter. Item three, one dollar even. Or whatever it was, the local druggist recommended to pull my stomach back together after the flight in Ad Bull's private plane from Ed's farm in South Vineland to Port Morris. In a sense, I'm glad we flew. In a car with Ed at the wheel, we'd have been all over the road. As it was, we were only all over the sky. Oh, beautiful day for flying, isn't it, Johnny? Can't you hold a straight course, Ed? What's the matter with this ship? Yeah, not a thing. I like to weave around a bit. I like the feel of it. You know, all that power under you. Yeah. Sure you're not just trying to scare me into welching on our little bet? I'm going to win that bet, Johnny. Your commission on the case, plus all that goes on that well-padded expense account of yours. 
You just get busy and find the body. Why don't you forget your dark past as a private eye and stay retired? What? And leave an old friend like you floundering around with a case that's hey! clear cut? If you don't watch your steering, we'll be floundering around in those salt marshes down there. Sorry. But can't you see, Johnny, Pete Corbin, Amerigo's agent, has to be the heavy. He's the beneficiary of Amerigo's policy. Amerigo owed him a lot of money. Too easy. And Pete's the only person we know of who was with Amerigo constantly. You got motive, opportunity. Too easy, I tell you. But I wonder what under the sun Pete's doing in Port Morris. Ah, that we'll be finding out. We'll land there in a couple of minutes now. The little town of Port Morris was set on the edge of one of the wide salt marshes that border a lot of the South Jersey shore. Just a vast expanse of salt hay indented with little coves and inlets. Soggy, swampy country. Ideal breeding place for the famous Jersey mosquitoes. And I guess for me, the ideal breeding place for trouble. Sergeant Barney Peters met us at the mucky little landing strip just outside town. And we headed out on a narrow, muddy road across the marshes. Yes, sir, Mr. Dollar. If I were you, I'd try to pin down this Corbin. Where is he now? Back in town. Got Alf McCracken keeping an eye on him. Alf's the boy you saw Amerigo crash through the bridge that night, you know. Barney, I still wish you'd cooked up something to hold him. But what, Ed? Sure, Ed. Every bit of evidence you think you've got on Corbin is purely circumstantial. What else have you got to go on, John Boy? Oh, we'll see. We'll see. After I have a look at the bridge Amerigo busted through in his car. It's just up ahead a bit. Crosses the Lucky Hole Creek. I'd also like to know who could have... Well, I'd like to know what could have happened to his body. To that $30,000 Amati violin. You'll see. Just keep in mind that there's a mighty big flow of water in the creek. From the tide coming in and going out. Hmm. Tell me, Sergeant. Johnny. I checked it. Huh? Tide had just turned, was on its way out to the ocean at the time Amerigo's car went over the bridge. Right, Barney? That's correct, Ed. Right now, though, it's probably about as low as it'll... Whoa! What's the matter? Just pulling over to let this car that's coming pass us. Otherwise, one of us might shear off into the swamp. Yeah, these roads weren't meant for two-way traffic. Darn fool's coming pretty fast for a road like this. He isn't careful. Hey, look, Pennsylvania plates. Huh? He's right. That's Corbin's car. Corbin, huh? Swing across the road. Block him. Wait! Son of a gun. Well, now, where's Corbin, all right? Well, then swing around. Go after him. On this road? He'd slide off into the swamp so fast. By the time we go on up to the bridge and turn, he'll be halfway back to Philadelphia, Blaster. Well, we had the bird in hand and didn't know it. What are you going to do now, Johnny? Just exactly what we started out to You're do. losing valuable time. Now, if I were still oh, in this... Oh, Ed, racket... why don't you stay retired? We drove slowly on up to the bridge, stopped and got out. And although the tide was almost low now, it was easy to see how that rush of water would easily carry a violin or a body or most anything right out to sea. Or could it? The tide was running this same way when it happened. Out. Yeah. And the current was a lot stronger than it is now, so you can imagine what it would... Huh? Yeah. What's the matter, Johnny? Well, that, uh, that big bird nest, whatever it is, down there at the side of the creek, 50, 60 feet. Oh, that's just where the reeds and hay got matted up. It does look like... Hey. Yeah. If that isn't a fiddle case propped up on top of it... Sure looks like sure one. Sure it is. Sure. The tide was higher then. The fiddle stuck in those reeds. Wait here. Well, now, Johnny, don't. You come back here. Dollar! Dollar, it's like quicksand. Stay out of it! Well, you darn fool! It was come like quicksand, back. too. You'll never make it! 
black, glowy muck, and I sank into it up to my knees. I almost had to swim through it, hanging onto it, pulling myself along by the reeds and bulrushes. But half of this case hung on that $30,000 Amati violin, and I wasn't going to let it slip out of my hands. A couple of times I dropped into soft holes, almost up to my shoulders, but somehow I kept going. Pulled the fiddle case off the pile of matted weeds and started back. It used up most of my strength, with only one hand to pull, to pull myself along, to... Ed! Ed! Johnny! Johnny, try and grab this rope! Here! Chance! Breach! Try it again, Ed. Drag it back. Try it again. Johnny, use the violin case. It'll keep you afloat. I... I'll try. You all right, Dollar? Dollar! Here, Johnny! The rope again! Johnny! Johnny! I hadn't passed out. So help me, I hadn't. Not entirely, that is. For I'd never have been able to grab the line that Ad Bowles threw to me. Needless to say, I took a lot of kidding from Ad and Barney Peters on the drive back to Port Morris. Especially since I didn't really know what had happened until I came to in the back seat of the car clutching the fiddle case. Jerk. If you'd held onto the rope with a death grip you have on that violin case, we'd have got you out of that muck before you swallowed half the salt water in that inlet. Yeah, sure, sure. I'll say this for you, Mr. Dollar. You don't give up easy. The fiddle. The $30,000 Amati. At least I had half of this miserable case in hand in my hands. There'd be no insurance collection on that violin. And I saw it. What's the matter, Johnny? You passed out again? No. No, Ed. You should have cleaned me up before you piled me into this car. What? Look. What is it? Piece of shirt. Ricardo Amerigo's shirt. Yeah, look, monogram on the pocket, R.A. And what looks like bloodstains. Hey, you're right. Where'd you get that? I must have picked it up when I picked up the fiddle. Well, at least it proves that Amerigo went down with his car. No doubt of it. What I didn't tell him was that the piece of cloth from Ricardo Amerigo's shirt was fastened to the violin case. Deliberately put there. But by whom? By Pete Corbin, Johnny. That's your man. Are you listening? Yeah, I'm listening. Beneficiary, confidant, caretaker of both Ricky Amerigo and his car. Who else could have sawed through the steering bar that made the car run off the bridge? And a guy who was smart enough to have it happen in this godforsaken salt marsh. Now, just a minute, Ed. Okay, Barney, in the heart of sunny southern Jersey, where he expected nobody'd find car or body or even the fiddle until long after the insurance claim was met. Thanks to a tide that'd carry everything out to sea. For indeed, my friend, if your deputy Alf McCracken hadn't actually seen Amerigo's car slip through the bridge rail, it... Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, yeah. If Pete Corbin had planned this whole thing, he would have made sure the corpus delecti would be found. Johnny, that's why he had the accident happen where somebody saw it. Yet that somebody, Alf McCracken, didn't see the fiddle float away, didn't see the body float away from the car. Oh. Stop it, John boy. You know as well as I do that this whole thing was engineered by Corbin. All right, tell me, investigator, what was he doing down here today? Lord knows, and I don't care. Probably to plant that piece of shirt. Johnny, I've given you all the help I'm gonna on this case. From now on, you either follow my tip and lose your bet to me, or you don't and 
Give yourself a black eye with insurance company. Foy. Johnny. Oh, yeah, Barney. That's a good detective. He'd have to be to retire on that nice farm of his over in South Vineland. He even broke a burglary case for me once here in Fort Morris a couple of years ago, one I couldn't break myself. Ah, pastime. But you've got guts. I like you for it. Thanks a lot. And to me, the Pete Corbin theory looks... Well, too easy. Oh, not you, Barney. That's what I've been trying to preach to that stubborn egghead sitting beside you. I'll lend you a suit of clean clothes, and you can chase this thing down the way you want to, without the dubious help of somebody who's just trying to win a bet from you. Traitor. And if I were you, I'd hunt up a few other people who knew Ricky Amerigo besides his press agent, Pete Corbin. You are a mind reader. Gentlemen, I have only one thing to say. And, Johnny, it's addressed to you. When you finally find that Pete Corbin done it, you know where to send the check to me. At Port Morris, we learned that Alf McCracken had lost track of Corbin when the former dropped in at Osborne's Oyster House for a dozen on the half shell. Hadn't even seen him take off in his car, much less leave in a hurry after spotting us on the road to Lucky Hole Creek. I took advantage of Barney's offer, borrowed a suit of his clothes, and accepted a ride from him to the crossroads of Woodvine where I could get a bus back to Philadelphia. Sure, half my job was done. I'd recovered the $30,000 Amati violin. But I could still hear the oh-so-pleasant voice of Ad Bowles, ex-investigator, not so retired. You know where to send the check to me, Johnny boy. Expense account item five, $4.95. Bus fare from Woodvine to Philadelphia. And believe me, it's a long bus ride. As soon as I got to my hotel and changed into my own clothes, I called Harry Branson at the insurance company. Mr. Branson here. This is Mr. Dollar, Mr. Branson. Yes, Mr. Uh, John. Yeah, I'm back at my hotel, music lover. And I've just won the $30,000 Amati. What? Yeah, I got the fiddle for you. Oh, thank heaven you recovered it. What of Ricardo Amerigo? Uh, later. Do you want the Amati? I'll be right over. Where is it, John? Where is it? Right here, Harry. Right here. Case, bow, and all. Oh, thank heaven. And by some miracle, it's dry as a bone and all in one piece. Voila. Oh, thank heaven. John. John? What's the matter? This? An Amati? Oh, no. Oh, no. Now, here's our star to tell you about tomorrow's intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, the results of a poker game. And believe me, there are times when the cards can be really stacked against you. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, starring Bob Bailey, is transcribed in Hollywood, written by Sam Dawson. It is produced and directed by Jack Johnstone. Be sure to join us tomorrow night, same time and station, for the next exciting episode of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar. This is Roy Rowan speaking.
Welcome back. Well, an important story for introducing Harry Bransom, who I have referenced before. Now, Johnny just deciding to hang up and come over may seem a bit rude, but when you consider how long Harry kept him in the office and how circuitous it can be for him to get to the point, Johnny could just have reasoned that. It just made sense to take the train over. It's kind of a big change to go from punching someone out to betting your entire commission plus your expense account on their innocence. But just because Johnny pushes someone doesn't mean he thinks that uh, they've done it. In this case, Peter Corbin just took things a little too personally. Also, the end definitely raises a lot of questions for us to get into on Friday. And is certainly a little bit of a bummer when you risk your life to get something and it's not what you thought it was. But we'll find out more about that next time. Well, listen to our comments and feedback now. And uh, have a very nice postcard from Sheila. It's got a snowy owl on it. I actually took a picture of it and I posted it over on our Instagram page, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. But Sheila uh, writes in, Thank you for providing all the Johnny Dollar and Box 13 episodes, etc. that I enjoy. They are such a pleasurable diversion from so much of what is going on today. They and you are a treat. We are from two very different areas of the country, and our politics may well differ considerably. Having said that, I want to add that your thoughtful and sensitive commentary on a number of episodes has provided me with some hope that differences can be bridged. I just finished listening to the final installment of the Forbes matter, which I found rather moving for the same reasons that you said you did. I want to thank you for your commentary on this episode, commentary that had a lot of heart, a lot of thought. Uh, Thank you for that. I appreciate your comments on that, Sheila. We are on Twitter, and it's fascinating because... I look at the profiles of the folks who follow me on there, and sometimes I'll look at one right after the other, and I'll think, you know, if these people were to talk politics, they would get into an argument. So I'm really pleased that we can kind of give people, regardless of their beliefs, a break for the most part from politics. Of course, in the course of a few thousand episodes, we've had a few episodes where something tangentially related has come up and dealt with that as one-offs, but for the most part able to really have a break. And I think that's important because I don't think we should be debating politics 24-7, 365. It's just not healthy. So I'm glad to provide that respite. As for the commentary, I'm glad to kind of dig up what I think so many of these radio writers uh, put down. Now, most of the programs we play are just, you know, fun genre fiction with nothing deeper to them. Uh, You will never in your life hear me give a profound commentary on a Philo Vance episode. I'd bet money on that, but I'm not ad bulls. But there are some series and some scripts where there 
some hidden depths, and it really is a delight to explore that, particularly as it ends up pointing us back to our own humanity and the things that matter most. Uh, She does continue on, and she writes... You probably knew this already, but in case you didn't, the musical background to the last scene uh, with Betsy Walker was a jazz number called I Can't Get Started With You, composed by Vernon Duke and made famous initially by uh, Bunny Berrigan, perfectly appropriate to the situation and also the mood. Well, thank you so much, uh, Sheila. I did not know that. I'm someone who absolutely loves to listen to classical music, older music. And by older music, I'm not talking the 60s and 70s. I'm talking, you know, about the 1940s. Big band, composers like Paul Whiteman, Meredith Wilson. It's just really relaxing, but honestly, I don't really pick up on composers and song titles and all that detail unless I hear a song that really grabs me and then I, you know, just research it. Okay, who wrote this, etc. So I did not even pick up on that at all. And that a little musical choice, and that adds to my understanding. So I appreciated that, Sheila. We turned to a review on Apple Podcasts called Stop the Multi-Episode Stuff, and this is a review on the Johnny Dollar feed. Adam can't stand the multi-episode postings. Get back to 130-minute episode format from Rick in Idaho. Sorry to disappoint you, Rick, but no. It's not like I am producing these programs right now and I decided to uh, go to the serialized format. This is how it was done in 1955 and 56. So there's no reasonable way for me to accommodate this request. I am not skipping them, and they will never be half-hour programs. Now, of course, I really love the serialized episodes, but, uh, you know, other people's mileage may vary. On our Johnny Dollar feed, we have every Johnny Dollar episode that we have done since the first... Uh, time we did the first Bob Bailey half-hour episode in 2014. So if you don't want serialized episodes, just grab a random older episode, listen to it, and we'll be back to half-hour episodes in the spring of 2024. Then we have an email from Joe who responded to a YouTube comment from Gino suggesting we needed to edit more out of the Johnny Dollar serials. And he writes, I understand where Gino is coming from, and I share some of the same views to a point. That being said, I think you're already striking a pretty decent balance when it comes to commercials and editing. There's no one right way to edit these episodes. If you were to trim all the commercials out and quickly fade out the theme music, there would be purists who would complain about not being able to listen to the shows exactly as they were first aired. Perhaps there's even someone who would prefer that no noise reduction or click-pop removal be done. 
I mean, as someone who has restored old vinyl recordings in the past, I've definitely heard episodes where too much noise reduction was used on the original recording for my taste. On the other hand, there are already a bunch of commercials missing on many of these shows. I remember hearing a recording somewhere of Dragnet that included the Chesterfield ads at the beginning of the program. It was jarring and not what I usually expected. My advice to Gino and anyone else who doesn't like certain parts, use the skip buttons. I use them all the time, whether pushing the forward reverse buttons on my steering wheel, the buttons on my Apple Watch, or tapping on an earpod. It's an easy way to jump over anything you don't want to hear. Like those grating commercials for the giant animals that went on and on. Or the two minutes of annoying organ music at the end of every Boston Blackie episode. I first started listening to the podcast over five years ago while driving for a living. And I still love to listen whenever I'm on the road. Keep up the good work, Adam, and don't change a thing. Well, thank you so much, Joel. I appreciate the comment. And I will second the recommendation for the button which allows you to forward ahead 15 seconds or 30 seconds depending on the app i appreciate it because i grew up with vcrs and you had to you know if you wanted to fast forward to something you had to do the squiggly lines or if you wanted to fast forward on tape it was hard to be that precise and then we turn to youtube where ann writes we used to listen to yours truly johnny dollar On Sunday night, when driving home with our parents, good memories. Well, thank you so much, Anne. Of course, Sunday nights, or late afternoon, depending on what area of the country you live in, was when Johnny Dollar aired after the serial run concluded and the series returned to being a weekly feature. Now, we of course live in an on-demand world where you can watch anything at any time. But there was something about family appointment viewing or listening that I think really creates this strange emotional connection for a family and a series. I always have fond memories of Star Trek The Next Generation, not just because of the quality, which was pretty good for most of its run, but had some issues at times, but because it was what we would do every week. My dad, my brother, and I would get at the television and we would watch Star Trek, The Next Generation, and later DS9, at 6 o'clock Saturday night when it came on our NBC affiliate. It's just such a powerful memory thing. And so I'm glad our Johnny Dollar episodes bring that back for you. George uh, writes over on Facebook, I'm sorry to say it, but Johnny Dollar is my favorite series of all the wonderful detective shows. The one about a tough insurance investigator is the best. It's great. And Bruce says, love Johnny Dollar. Keep up the good work. Well, thanks so much. And now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to go ahead and thank Jim. Jim has been one of our Patreon supporters since May of 2020, 
and he's currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Thanks so much for your support, Jim. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to follow us using your favorite podcast software. And be sure to rate and review the podcast wherever you download it from. We will be back on Friday with the conclusion of this story. But join us back here tomorrow for Dangerous Assignment where... Well, now I've seen everything, but you... A corpse comes wandering around to find out who killed him. Yeah. And what I'm wondering right now is why I ever picked this flea bitten town to get myself knocked off in. <laughs> you really must have been hard up for a spot, believe me. Hey, look, Kavanaugh. This guy who got himself killed, did he look anything like me? No, no. He was an American, too, but that's about all. But those credentials he had, I got a look at them, and they sure like, looked like the real McCoy to me. Yeah? What do you think the guy's angle was, Mitchell? That's what I'm down here to find out. What can you tell me about the actual shooting? Well, it took place in the alley right outside this bar. Oh? Were you in here at the time? <laughs> Where else? Silly question. Well, go on. I heard a shot. I ran outside. The guy was lying on the ground. Somebody was bending over him. Oh? Looked to me like he was trying to get something out of the dead man's pockets. Did you get a good look at him? No, it was too dark. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure it was even a him. I see. This guy's body at the morgue? Yeah, yeah. Come on, I'll take you over there. I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.